is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. If you'd like to take a moment and turn with me in your Bibles. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there are maybe no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, welcome again to Holy Trinity. I'm John Dennis, one of the pastors here, and uh, we're in a series called The More Excellent Way, which is really speaking about the need for the church to be filled with people, this is gonna sound simple, who love each other who are willing to live in a way in the world that demonstrates that Jesus is alive, that he's reigning on the throne, and that he has called us to be part of a body together. I want to say thank you to my colleagues, uh, to Sully and to Christian, to Ben and some others who have allowed me a number of weeks outside the pulpit. But I also want to say welcome to our UIC students, Northwestern students, uh, DePaul students, the Moody Bible Institute students who are uh, starting, um, starting up school again this fall. We're glad that you're here. I called it the Moody Bible Institute, but you can't say that because um, the Ohio State has trademarked the word the. So um, my question as we begin is, is this, are you engaged in the body? Is there a part for you to play in the mission of Jesus? Or are you too young or too old? 
or too out of shape or too in shape? Is there a spot for you in the mission of Jesus? My wife and I were recently listening to a podcast by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Anybody a Malcolm Gladwell fan here? Yeah, okay. Um, some of you know him a little bit. And he, he had a podcast um, that he was, the title of the podcast was um, Relax and Win. And the whole podcast was actually about runners and how they run with so much speed. Someone to ask you who's the uh, fastest person in the world, who would you say? Yeah, most of us said Usain Bolt, right? Well, the, the, the uh, podcast actually mentions Bolt and some of the philosophy that he used in order to become the fastest human being ever to walk on the planet. And the story actually goes back to somebody who coached track at San Jose State between in the 40s to the 70s. And this guy, um, his name was Bill Hunt. And here's what he taught, sorry. Here's what he taught. He taught that, you need, that the way to run faster was not more exertion, not the clenching of your jaw or the clenching of your hands, but actually visualization and total relaxation. That there's something about the ability to have your whole body relax. I have no idea what this person is talking about, but anyway. There's, there's some kind of way to run that when you are running in a relaxed state, it's as if your whole body is working in a coordinated way. You could think of it this way, that the way that Usain Bolt became the fastest person in the world was through the total coordination of his body down to his lips down to how he moved his hands. In other words, put it this way, coordination leads to impact. I'll say that again, coordination leads to impact. In other words, that's true in business, that's true in sports as well. Uh, NBA basketball coach Pat Riley once put it this way, teamwork is the essence of life. If there's one thing on which I'm an authority, it's how to blend the talents and the strengths of individuals into a force that becomes greater than the sum of its parts. He goes on to say, my driving belief is this, great teamwork is the only way to achieve our ultimate moments, to create breakthroughs that define our careers, to fulfill our lives with a sense of lasting significance. He, had, he said that teamwork is the essence of life. Now you're in a church, so we're gonna say that Jesus is the essence of life, okay? Um, but what Paul is arguing here is that the Holy Spirit has blended the talents and the personalities of every person that is sitting in these chairs today and so empowered and so equipped one of you that you can work together for total impact. Imagine that you go to hear some musicians and they are only playing one instrument. It's all the parts that are necessary. The Apostle Paul is writing to a culture in Corinth that you could call was very similar to the celebrity culture that has sort of destroyed American Christianity over the last 10 or 15 years. Where it's the elevation of one person, one set of gifts, one role, 
And that person's gifts and role becomes over-exalted. something happening funny behind me here? What's going on? Nothing, I guess. I'll just keep on talking, okay? What Paul is writing towards is a situation where in chapter 1, some people are saying, I'm, I'm with Paul. Other people, I'm, I'm with Apollos. I'm with Cephas. And the church is beginning to fragment. And Paul is speaking here of the necessity of unity and the necessity of recognizing the weaker members and honoring them. Not to have some celebrity culture where one person is lifted up, but where everyone is lifted up. And so today, what I want to speak to you on, if, if you want a title for it, you could just call it the law of coordinated impact. And the idea is this, I'll, just to make it personal, I'll just put it this way, you have a role in the body of Jesus. You do have a role in the mission of Jesus that no one else could fulfill, that God has designed specifically for you, but you can't do it alone. Or another way to think of it this, is this way. I'll say this is my argument, that God has so arranged the body so that the body can have maximum impact in the world. God has so arranged the body so that it can have maximum impact in the world. And my challenge to you this morning is really get in the game if you're not right now. Let's bow in prayer. I'm going to ask for God's blessing as we look at this text together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we ask that you'd help us to have the humility to see the value of each of the other gifts in the church, but also the sense of your destiny for us to realize that we have something to offer as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these are, I'm just going to give you a few principles for impact. And the first one is from verses 12 to 13. And you could put it this way. Put it this way, that God has arranged the members of his body for unity. I'll just to give you a clue, we're going to talk, talk about unity and then diversity is the next thing. If you look at the text, verse 12, look at the emphasis on unity. The body is one, verse 12. All the, all the members of the body are one body, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We're all made to drink of one spirit. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of, of one body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. What Paul starts to do in verse 13 is emphasize the presence of a variety of ethnicities and a variety of social classes. And his purpose in doing that is to say that God has taken people from different parts of the world in the church in Corinth, this global city, and brought them together and their Differences in ethnicity and their differences in socioeconomic status don't detract from their unity. It actually emphasizes the unity. Because when you see the people of God working together from all different parts of the world and all different socioeconomic places, what Paul is saying is that it shows us that we are actually all one. Jews and Greeks, slave and free. I don't know if you remember in seventh grade, when you were in seventh grade, I'll put it this way, for, for, a, for the body to have maximum impact, it needs to be coordinated. And when you're in seventh grade, you're like, your limbs are starting to grow, like they're too big for you, kind of, you know? And people are extremely non-coordinated 
in seventh grade. I think it was eighth grade for some of us, but um, you're sort of gangly. It's like if you're trying to play a soccer game, you don't know how to control your limbs yet. What the Apostle Paul is using this one particular image to, to emphasize the need for the body to all work together. Unity. And what Paul is saying here is that we have this unity by the, the baptism of the Spirit. I was going to see if it's up there, but it's not. By the baptism of the Spirit and by all drinking of the same Spirit. In other words, when you are baptized, and if you believe in Christ, if you have not yet been baptized, that you should be. When you're baptized, it's saying that you are a part of this vast movement that's called Christian faith but spiritually incorporated into the body of Jesus Christ. And when it says here uh, that we are drinking of the same spirit, the idea is this, that when you're in Christ, the spirit has come upon you, and it's a, in a sense like you're drinking from the Holy Spirit. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been around a swimming pool, but the fun is happening in the swimming pool. Everyone has to jump in. The idea of baptism is actually this idea of just being immersed, and then he speaks of like drinking of the Spirit as well. Paul's emphasizing the church is an organic unity. There's a lot of different kinds of people here this morning. A lot of different ethnicities here this morning. Some people from the west side. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Some people from the south side. Some people from the north side. No one from the east side. There is an east side to Chicago, but it's... That's another story, okay? The church is not just a meeting on Sunday mornings. It is an organic unity of relationships. And if the church is going to be effective in the world today, it has to be unified. There's an article recently that was written about a year ago called The Six-Way Fracturing of Christian Faith or Christianity in North America. And it outlines how because of the various cultural wars that are happening in our culture today, the church is beginning to sort of split apart. This is what Bonhoeffer says. Bonhoeffer uh, emphasizes, let me, I, I want you to have this principle in your mind first. We don't work for unity, we work from unity. Okay, in other words, you're already one in Jesus. So it's not like, you're like try, we don't try to become one, we are one. Our, problems, our problem as Christians is we don't always act as one. We don't let it become manifest as one. And uh, Bonhoeffer, really in, in his book, Life Together, kind of criticizes Christians for when we, well, he, this is funny, he criticizes Christians for criticizing Christians. He says, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship into which we have placed, even when there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty. If we keep complaining to God that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. Point one is just very simply that God has put you in a unity already. And in order to stay unified, you have to keep your eyes on what Christ has done for us, on what the Holy Spirit has done for us, that God has arranged the church in his body so the church will impact the world. Secondly, after unity then comes diversity, and this is in verses 4 through 20. And Paul starts to use like, um, he used, uses like absurd arguments here. So you, you have to kind of picture this. 
He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not of the hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. This would be like Usain Bolt is getting to run and one of the, his left knee says, you know, I'm sit this one out, all right? This, no, everything has to work together. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It's really interesting because in verse 18, the emphasis is this, that God has arranged the body. So you may feel like, look, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know if I have gifts. I don't know if I have a place to contribute. And what this text is saying is, no, God has given you some particular gifts, and they're for you to use to build up the church, that he has arranged the body. What can happen in a culture where, so this celebrity culture that you have in Corinth, what can happen is that when some gifts are elevated, other gifts are kind of devalued, right? So people are, you know, what mostly what happens is pastors sort of get lifted up. It's like, oh, they're the ones that speak, so they must be the most important ones. That's not actually true. Francis Schaeffer describes this kind of misguided humility that says, well, this is in uh, a, a little booklet that he has called No Little People. And he was writing at a time when there was a lot of ego that he saw in the particular denomination that we, he was in. And what he saw was that the, the unintended side effect of ego in the church is that people feel undervalued in what they contribute. And he said that you could describe it this way. He says, some people feel like, you know, it's wonderful to be a Christian, but I'm such a small person, so limited in my talents or my energy or my psychological strength or my knowledge that what I do is not really important. You ever got that message about yourself from the world or from a local church? Ah, your contribution is not that important. What Schaefer goes on to describe is it's not a matter of how talented you are. It's a matter of how consecrated you are. He goes on to basically say, that, look, God used, Abraham, God used Moses' stick. <laughs> if God can use a stick, then he probably could use you but he's making the point that you have to be consecrated. Paul uses this kind of humor to, de to deconstruct the celebrity church. Imagine if you're a greeter, you're standing out back, you're feeling pretty good because you're like, hey, I'm involved, I'm helping out, and up the elevator comes, this is silly, but this is what Paul is saying, a giant ear, that's it. No other body parts, just like a seven-foot ear. Then you're like, nice to see, <laughs> you need a Q-tip. There you go. Or, or up the elevator comes a giant eyeball. That, that's literally what he's saying. He's saying, like, what use is it if the whole band is all vocalists or is all guitars? What If there's no harps, if there's no variety, what good is it? There's a danger to uniformity in the church and a danger to comparison in the church. Hey, because I have these gifts, my gifts are not as 
important. I'm going to just tell a tragic story for a moment that uh, might be hard to get out of your mind after the sermon. So I'll have to do some palate cleansing. But on August 13th, 2002, some, 2022, just not long ago, a couple weeks ago, something tragic happened. And on that day, the captain of a rented yacht on Lake Michigan was struggling with a malfunctioning anchor. And his boat began to drift. So to correct the drifting, the captain placed the boat in reverse and he smashed into a floating raft. This is in the area they call the playpen. Some of the people who were on the raft fell in the water and a woman whose name is Lena Batochir, I don't know how to pronounce her name, bumped into the propeller and both of her feet were cut off. And she can't walk. A couple weeks later, she said she still hadn't seen her two young children. She said she still hadn't told her six-year-old daughter yet that both of her legs were amputated below the knee. She said, I really want to tell her sooner than later and just be able to hug her and kiss her. I know she's going to accept me, and I know she's going to understand that Mama's going to have robot prosthetic legs. We need prostheticians. I didn't say that right. Uh, I tried. That's Emily. Emily is the prosthetician. Close. Something like that. She's a pros-something. I don't, I don't know exactly what that is. And hopefully she'll think it's cool. But what Paul is saying is that the church in Corinth has started to act like you could just lop off parts of the body and everything's cool. Or think of it another way in our culture today. One of the reasons why Christians have very little credibility because it seems like different parts of the body of Christ are taking their boats and just backing up into people and cutting off limbs. I'm saying that there's so much division in our culture today, it seems like people are always just attacking. Paul is saying, no, you know what? We need both of those feet. Thank God for people who help build prosthetics, right? And Paul is saying, don't act in the body as if you don't play a part. There's a part for everyone. Know your part. God has arranged the church's body so the body will impact the world. Principle number one for impact is that we need to understand our unity. Secondly, we need to understand our diversity. That's verses 14 to 20. Then we need to understand how to value each other. So Paul moves from people thinking, oh, there should only be one gift, to people saying, you know, I don't have any need of you. This attitude of, this is the ego side of it. He says, the eye cannot say to the eye, I have no, sorry, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. This is interesting here when he says, he's actually probably talking about sexual organs here. He's saying there's parts of your body that you cover up and show greater modesty. He says, 
which the more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. Hear this verse in verse 26. If one member suffers, we all suffer. If one member is honored, we should rejoice together. If you're hammering a nail and you hit your thumb, it's not like your thumb is the only part that reacts. Your whole body sort of reacts. And that is the idea of valuing the various parts of the body. Again, think of the, the, the absurdity of the picture that he's saying. The eye saying to the hand. Imagine a boxer saying, no, 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 I got this to the hands. The eyes just saying, we got this. You can't box without your hands and your eyes. Or try to cook dinner sometime just with your, you know, with your eyes but no hands. That's what Paul's saying. He's just showing the ridiculousness of this. If you think of a great soccer player, they actually use their head and their chest and their feet and their knees. You can't use their hands. They use your hands to sort of shove other people. The church that begins to value just the sort of more exalted gifts is impaired. It's not healthy. So part of the application is this, is honor the weaker parts. Honor the ones who seem weaker. Think about it this way. What, what part of the restaurant is the most important? The chef? The maitre d'? The manager? The sommelier? The dish, like, so fine, but no, if, nobody's, if nobody's washing the dishes, there's going to be a problem eventually. There's a book that uh, Daniel Coyle recently wrote called The Culture Code, and it's about what he spent eight, sorry, he spent four years researching eight of the world's most successful groups. And he talks a little bit about it's the, it's the culture of those groups that helps make them successful, but one of the things that makes groups great is the valuing of the various members. <laughs> so he tells the story of uh, a guy whose name is Thomas Keller, who's a, he's a, he's a chef who runs the French Laundry, per se, some other world-class restaurants. And, he, and he has, when, he, when he opens the restaurant, guess who he recognizes first? The dishwashers. I want to thank our dishwashers here today, because without them, we couldn't do this. And that's what Paul is saying is recognize the ones who perform the most hum humble task. The way one, one of my friends sometimes puts it is like, I mean, somebody's got to make the lunch, right? <laughs> somebody's got to do the dishes. That's why Jesus lived the way he did. To show that the greatest of all should become the servant of all. That's why he washed the feet of the disciples. Coyle mentions Urban Meyer, who coached the Ohio State football team to a national championship in 2015. And uh, after they had won the title, there's tens of thousands of people there. So everybody thought he would introduce the star players first, who had led the team to su success. Instead, Meyer introduced an unheralded player named Nick Serac, who was a reserve defensive back, who at the beginning of the season has given up his scholarship so that another team player could play who would help the team more. 
So here's they won a national championship, and here's a guy who didn't play, and he says, I want to rec recognize Nick. So I'll just put it this way. Friends, let's value those who are overlooked. Let's take a look for those who are undervalued so often in a local church and exalt them and lift them up. See, what Paul is talking about is deploying all of the, all of the people of God to ministry. Not just some of the people of God, but everybody. That's when there is the most impact. And some of you have probably experienced trauma through the arrogance of others in the church. And Paul is pointing out that this kind of self-centeredness destroys churches. Francis Schaeffer, mentioned before, puts it this way. In every one of us, there remains a seed of wanting to be the boss, of wanting to be in control, and to have the, the word of power over our fellows. Instead, he reminds us to take the path of servanthood. <laughs> the scripture emphasizes that much can come from little if the little is truly consecrated to God. So give yourself over fully to him. And don't worry about how small your own talents seem. The last little thing he does, so he emphasizes unity, emphasizes diversity, then he emphasizes valuing one another. And then interestingly, he starts to, in, in the last little section here, verses 27 to 31, he talks about a variety of gifts. And I'm just going to mention this. And what's interesting and extraordinary about verses 27 to 31 is that Paul has already said, hey, some gifts that are overlooked need to be elevated. But now he actually gives a list, almost as if there's an order of the gifts that are most important. He mentions eight of them, and I'm just going to clump them together because eight is a lot. The first three come together, and it goes apostle, uh, prophet, and teacher. Think of an, an apostle as this. It comes from the ver it's a verbal noun that means to be sent. And in the scriptures, there's two kinds of apostles. One is the 12 followers that saw Jesus die, that followed him around. They were eyewitnesses to his death and helped write the scriptures. Call that a capital A apostle. And then small a apostles are the ones who help to, to plant churches and build up churches. That's what he's talking about when he says, when he's speaking of the apostolic gifting. An argument can be made that it is the, that the apostolic gifting is the one that actually helps bring everybody together and use all of their gifts together. The next one is the prophet. In the Old Testament, the prophet had um, supreme authority. In the New Testament, think of a prophet as this way. As where the gift of prophecy would be the immediate kind of spirit-prompted ability to speak to somebody's heart. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where someone's like, that felt like it was intended specifically for me. What he's doing here is he's elevating the word gifts that really build up the church. And then the teacher, the teacher is the one who can make everything clear and succinct and comprehensive also a spirit-given gift. Those three go together. Um, in the book of Ephesians, Paul adds two others, which is evangelist and shepherd, but we'll just stay with those now. The next uh, gifts four and five, so we did one to three, and they're listed numerically. The next one, gifts four and five, could be put together. Miracles and healing. If you have these gifts, please see me afterwards, because 
my shoulder's killing me, but um, this is the spirit-prompted ability on occasion to pray with such faith that God heals somebody. So this is the situation where the doctor comes back the next day and says, I don't know what's going on, but all of your cancer is gone. My own, my own belief is that God does dispense that at times in this modern age. But it's not like some people just walk around with the gift of be healed, be healed. Because we're all afflicted by sin. So those are sort of supernatural gifts, uh, miracles and healing. All of them are supernatural, actually. The next two are helping and administration. Um, you know, if, if somebody's on your team and they have the gift of helps, it's like, you might help start the project 10, 15% or so, and they just get it done the rest of the way. Some people have the gift of helps, and it's amazing to have them around. The gift of administration is a little bit different. It's kind of, the actual word has to do with the ability to, to, to steer a ship. So we think of administration usually as like getting the job done. It's close, but here it has more to do with if you give them a task, they know how to steer that in the right direction. And then the last gift here that's mentioned is tongues. And what's happening in the church of Corinth is that when everybody comes together, it's absolute chaos. Everybody is just, this is the gift that the Corinthians loved, speaking in tongues, which is like a private uh, prayer language that according to Paul, and we'll look at this later, should only be used in public if somebody's going to interpret it. What's happening in the church at Corinth is just everybody is drowning each other out and nobody is building each other up. So what Paul is saying is here is be aware of what the gifts are so that you can let people use the gifts that they have. At Holy Trinity, sometimes we've overemphasized some gifts that have made us less effective. Um, we train a lot of young interns. We're thankful for that. A lot of people who love to preach. But if everybody wants to preach and nobody wants to do the dishes, then it's going to get stinky really fast, right? When you listen to apostolic gifting, here's, here's kind of the sense, is people are like, okay, let's go. When you listen to prophetic gifting, you're like, God, oh man, God is so holy. When you listen to a teacher, you're like, oh, that makes sense. When you listen to, uh, well, with miracles or healing, I already said, it's like the cancer is gone. With helps, it's like, thank you so much. How did you do that? With administration, it's like, hey, thanks for getting us organized. And tongues, it's like, hey, God, we worship you. When he comes to the end of this little section, though, Paul says, you know what? Let me show you a more excellent way. Because the most important thing is not just knowing exactly what your gift is or how to use your gift, but to use your gift in a way that shows love to other people, that builds other people up. And that is what the more excellent way is. So as we close, let me just ask you this. Is there a part for you in the mission of God? Yes. How might you, there's, there is a part for everyone in the mission of God. In fact, this, what the previous passage says is that the Spirit has empowered you with that gift. So is there a place for you to play? Is there a role for you to play? The answer is yes. Put differently, 
we need y'all. Y'all need y'all. Like we can't get it done with just a few. It's that idea of getting out of the stands and onto the field or off of the bench and onto the field. So I just challenge you at the end. Think about what you're, you're part of a body. Think about ways you can solidify your service to the body. But also have this humility that Paul talks about to honor the dishwasher. Where's Val this morning? Is Val here? Okay, there she is over there. She made the coffee this morning. Let's give a round of applause for Val Yuli. You know what? She hates that so much that I just did that. That's like her worst nightmare, right? Or Susie Shin. Have you seen her art? The person who just gave, she said, I hate public speaking. She's an incredible artist, right? I tried to do some, I tried to do a painting this weekend. It just looked like blobs, of, like of paint. So honor the other gifts that are different than yours, but also explore your own gifts. If you were walking down the street and you saw a thumb, a human thumb, by the curb, what would you think? You would immediately think, where's the body? But in some ways, there are ways in which we function like just a little thumb over there on our own. There's some people who aren't here today. We need you to call them up and say, I miss you. You contribute. You make a difference. I need you to be a part of this. God has arranged the body, the church as a body, so that the body will impact the world. Let's get in the game. Let's bow in the head, our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who has, for every person who is here, for every person who has bowed their knees to Jesus, has, that the Spirit has sovereignly said, this gift, that gift, and empowered them. Suck the ego out of Holy Trinity Church so that we don't lift up some gifts over others, but that we honor those who are less. Because Jesus stepped off of his, off of his throne and washed our feet and gave his life for us. We praise you for this in Christ's name. Amen.